of the most difficult things to do in a modern movie, especially a big budget film, is try to design an original looking creature and try to conceptualize something that doesn't actually exist. I mean, look at this description here. A pulpy tentacled head surmounted on a grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary wings. I mean, the ultimate in impossible creatures to design comes from H.P. Lovecraft and his Cthulhu stuff. Um, he describes these creatures that don't necessarily have a physical form, that don't exist ultimately in our current world, in our real world setting. And so how do you, as a director or as an artist, how do you conceptualize something like this? And where do you start, right? And this is what has always fascinated me about filmmaking, because like many of us or many of you at home, I spent hours sort of tooling over uh, any of the special features for Star Wars or any of the special features for Lord of the Rings. And the fact that um, the directors for those movies could just walk into a space and they'd be this board full of artwork, right? All these different interpretations of what these locations should look like, of what these creatures should look like, places that physically don't exist. And that was what's so cool about Star Wars to me. It's not necessarily the soap opera epic and Chewbacca and all that other shit. It was the world building that was interesting and that he designed these places that don't physically exist. And you look at like James Cameron and Avatar, he does the same thing with that. And with him, he sort of went to what he knows really well, which is the ocean and the depths of the ocean and his love for the ocean. And so a lot of that played through with the creatures in that space and the bioluminescence, bioluminescence, bioluminescence. you fucking idiot, that's what it is. <laughs> but it's interesting to process. But as a single human being, as somebody that loves sci-fi and loves horror and is going to make these movies, uh, it's a huge task to take on, to sit there and go, I'm going to literally design all of these creatures from nothing. And, and how, do I, how do I get started? And that's what today's show is about. Today's show is about the unsung heroes in the Hollywood business. The guys and girls that create these images that we love so much when we go watch these giant Marvel monster movies, right? Or you go see the latest Godzilla film. You know, these images that are on the screen are created by concept artists, right? These people that somehow have the ability to tap into the imagination, the rawest part of imagination, and create something from nothing from scratch, from nothing. And that to me is so inspiring. That to me is the coolest part of doing a big budget movie, I think, is just being exposed to these individuals, to these folks that have that ability. And I'm completely fascinated with it. And today's episode, I really want to demystify, demystify a lot of that, right? How does... Because... It's not like you're born with this, right? It's not like all of a sudden you had come out of your mom and you have some sort of porthole into the demonic dimension and you can draw this from memory, you know? These guys have to have certain rhythms, certain steps, certain processes that allow them to do this and quickly do it, right? Someone that does, a concept artist is someone that is fast and efficient, right? Because you don't want someone that's gonna spend 20 hours 
doing a super detailed painting on something that doesn't fit the movie. A lot of concept artists have the ability to speed paint and, and literally translate an emotion with a brushstroke, right? Or give you the illusion of, a, of an outfit with a pattern or a texture. That stuff is so cool to me. And then when you look at these pieces, they are so open-ended to a certain aspect that your brain fills in the blanks. I get really excited about this stuff. It's one of my favorite aspects of filmmaking is this conceptual stuff and this world-building stuff. And I'm very excited to do it with my movies. I'm very excited to do that with uh, 12 Cam. I'm very excited to do that with Who's There and the new ones that we have kicking right now. I mean, this is why I want to make films. I want to create worlds that we don't know. They're familiar to us, but we don't understand what's happening in them. And that confusion helps fuel the fear. And that's what I want. I want to build very scary spaces. Um, so without further ado, today's episode, I'm super excited to have our guest on. Um, it's a concept artist. His name is Chris Cold. And I found him by doing basic research for one of my movies. I had to hunt for certain, cre uh, certain creature elements. Um, and what I generally like to do is I try to put together sort of an inspiration folder and I'll take anything that starts to speak to me and I'm just sort of reaching out into the darkness that is the Google search and, and hunting for these images um, and two or three times I stumbled across stuff that was his and it just happened to be his and I fucking loved it um, and so I reached out got in touch with him with the power of the internet got in touch with him and uh, uh, convinced him to be on the show and it's a great episode. It's a great episode. It starts to talk deeply into uh, inspiration, starts to talk about how these things uh, come about, how uh, concept artists uh, develop their, their techniques to a certain extent, um, and then ultimately how you as a, as a storyteller can collaborate with someone like this um, in the most efficient and effective way. So it's pretty cool. It's a great episode. I'm really excited to have him. Um, and I'm going to put, before the show begins, I'll have links to his work below because we're going to reference a bunch of his pieces. And I'm going to talk about why I like his pieces. And he's going he's gonna to reference them a lot. Um, and so if you're uh, on the In Love With The Process website, so if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and you're viewing this there, um, I'm going to post a bunch of his images there as well. Um, and uh, just... While you're listening to the show, look at his work, right? And just be in this world a bit. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a great one. And, and he was graceful enough or gracious enough to let me interview him because there's a huge time difference. He's in Spain and we're, I'm here in Los Angeles. So uh, it's an early morning for me and a late night for him. <laughs> uh, so I think you guys are going to really dig this episode. So you know the deal. Like I said, Open up Chris's work, have it there on your computer in front of you, right? Throw on those noise-canceling headphones, sit back, and imagine that you're in one of these hellish environments that he creates with fire and shadow and dark, sharp-edged horned demons that come out of the darkness. How fucking cool is that? Sit back, try to relax, and enjoy <laughs> the new episode of In Love With The Process. 
So, hey, Chris, thanks for being on the show, my man. Uh, sure. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So, you're where are you right now? You're in Spain? Uh, yes, I'm in Spain. I actually moved here a couple of years ago. Uh, my, my girlfriend is from Spain, so I basically moved here. Oh, that's awesome. I've never been. I've never been. I hear it's beautiful there. Yeah, it's very, very old cities, very like old city centers are pretty much old towns with like every city has a cathedral and all that. So it's quite interesting to just go for even small towns. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, pretty interesting to travel even within the country. So yeah, cool stuff. You must find that incredibly inspiring. I mean, judging by the artwork that you do. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely everything is like um, all the architecture is very gothic, so it's it's definitely the kind of stuff that I paint as well. So um, we also take we'll take a lot of photos whenever we travel. So you know, it's kind of part of part of uh, my girlfriend is also a narcissist, so it's kind of like part of what both we do. So it's kind of cool. Really cool, man. And just to catch the listeners up because they may not know. You're you're an amazing concept artist. I'm I'm a big fan of your stuff. I found your stuff. I think I found your stuff through Instagram, or maybe it was just an online search because I was doing some research. Um, and you paint these amazing, like huge dark worlds with like sort of like demonic silhouettes. And mm-hmm. I love your jagged edge work. And um, I'm a big fan of your Vulture series and your Dying Embers. And um, I love that Sun Eater piece that you've done. So, oh yeah, yeah, right. Um, really cool stuff. How did you get started in concept artwork? Uh, well, uh, in concept art specifically, I'm not. I'm not actually sure how the transition is because uh, when I just started art, like doing digital art and all that, I was, I was doing actually um, uh, this genre. It was like more of a niche genre called space art. So it was just like spacescapes and just like nebula and all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. at some point it was just it kind of went into um, doing general landscapes and the very first job i didn't even like i didn't even like um specifically go into art thinking like oh i'm gonna be a concept artist but the first the first semi big job that i got was for uh like an indie game called Shadowgate. It was like a remake of the old one. And oh, yeah. Yeah, it used to be on, on the NES, and then they uh, they remade for PC. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was basically the only artist. There were some designers, but I was, the, I was the only artist working on it. So I was doing all the backgrounds and like sort of the like room designs and all that stuff. And cool. so it was. It was like the. It was the only the the only big project at the time that I was doing because it lasted for like a year, I think, or something like that. Wow. And it was yeah, it's, it was pretty long, and they did like a Kickstarter for it and all that. And so like um, after that, I was like, okay, so I can I can actually do something like this then, like as in <laughs> as opposed to be, because before I was the the only jobs that I was doing it was more like. Uh, like cover illustrations and like maybe some trading card games or something like this, like nothing, nothing that was, um, well, nothing that wasn't remotely, that was remotely concept party. So it was like, after, after that, I was like, okay, I can actually, I can actually do more of that. So that was the, that was the start at least. So from that, yeah, from that point on, I felt like I could, I could get into the, 
concept art for games or whatever else for movies sometimes very cool very cool before before we continue can you get closer to your mic at all you just sound very low i don't know if there's any way to do that yeah yeah sure like this is better yeah much better dude Uh, much better yeah sorry i kind of moved back a bit i guess there it's all good um so where are you from originally um well okay so my, I have I have family in I'm I, I'm born in in Eastern Europe in Russia actually so uh-huh. my I have family in in Russia and in I guess parts in like Germany I'm not really close to my father's side so I'm you know I, I'm I'm not kind of I don't really know all my roots, but I'm basically like mixed <laughs> like that. And I, I lived in, I lived in um, Eastern Europe and studied there. And yep. then I kind of moved around for, for a little bit, sometimes for work. And then in the end, like a few years ago, when I, um, when I met with my girlfriend, I just moved to Spain and I've, I've been li- living here for the past few years, I guess. That's rad, man. That's really cool. Um, so you did that game artwork, um, and then you transit, you, you figured out that you, you now knew how to do long-term sort of like larger projects. And what is that like? Just being able to follow through on deadlines and that kind of thing, or, uh, it was more like, it was more because, um, like that, like deadlines, I mean, specifically in that project, it was a bit vague because it was, it was an easy project. And in the end, all, everybody would wait on me because I did, (laughs) <laughs> uh, because I'm, I'm pretty much, I was pretty much the only person doing the, the artworks. So it's yeah. kind of like, like the majority of work was sort of on me there. Like, and so it, it, it was like, if they, if they had deadlines, then I probably wouldn't be able to meet any of them because in that specific project, I was kind of like the guy that, that like was doing the, the chunk of work. So yeah. like, so like maybe not so much about deadlines, but about like just the volume of work that I could do during a project That's so cool. like yeah i learned i learned a lot during that and like i made so many mistakes now looking back it was just <laughs> but that's the learning process yeah yeah that's it was but, it. Yeah. yeah it was just like the first time i actually actually remember that when the guy asked me to be on the project because they approached me and yeah. i was like and, and the guy asked me like oh we have like this thing in mind and it already sounded like there was a lot of work like he didn't tell me any specific but just by the way he he approached me and was like, oh, yeah, that was, that's going to be a lot. And I wasn't even sure whether I should agree. I think I remember like sitting on the email for like a week before I, before I replied. Yeah. And, th- and then he, he emailed me again. He's like, so, hey, like, are you interested? And I was like, okay, sure. And so kind of kind of like jumped into it, I guess. <laughs> As you can hear in the background here, apparently this is the busiest day in Los Angeles ever. There's like police chasing people. I have oh. people outside mowing my lawn. So those of you listening at home, it's a typical Tuesday here in Los Angeles. I, I can barely <laughs> hear it though, so it's it's fine. Um, so uh, let's see. So then how do you, let's talk about how you do your process, okay? How you actually design sure. these pieces. Because um, the thing that's fascinating... I, we haven't talked much about this yet because we've just met, but I'm a director. I direct and I do movies. I do, I've done music videos and do commercials. Um, and I have been trained on how to do basic storyboard artwork, but I love working with concept artists to come up with keyframes, essentially, 
So uh, just helping design a look of a larger sequence. Mm -hmm. um, and this is pretty standard in Hollywood right now. And a lot of people don't realize that when you watch Marvel movies and you see that really cool, you know, Spider-Man hanging off the back of an airplane fighting Vulture, mm -hmm. that was essentially designed by a concept artist. Um, yeah. And I, a lot of these directors, I don't want to say anything bad about it, but a lot of these directors will just take concept art and go, okay, and then just film this. You know what I mean? And so I think that the concept artist is sort of the unsung hero for a lot of the modern uh, big budget cinema stuff. Um, and I'm curious because as a, con as a director, it's a different thing than being a concept artist. As a director, I'm choosing things that I see. So like I actually, someone will present me with a background, someone will present me with a prop and I'll go, yes, no, that'd be great. And then I bring them together to make something really great. As a concept artist, it's fascinating because it just seems so magical. It seems like the artist just goes in deep into their brain and pulls this thing out of nothing. Like I, I kind of want to demystify that a little bit and how, how does, how does your process work? Like if we were to t work on a project together and I said, look, um, I have this sequence. Do you want a bunch of material from me first? Or do you do your own research? Like, how does your process work? Mm, well, it would, um, I guess for movies, it's because I would say that for, for video games compared to movies, it's very different. I would, okay. I would say actually, even though, even though movies can be very like open and free, I'd say for video games, it's actually a bit more like, it's it's way freer because video games you don't have to rely in the end on actors doing stuff. Right. So so like for video games you can just do you know you you can the main character can be a monster for all you care like all characters can be like Hulks let's say or something like this right and mm -hmm. so but it is true enough that when when like for movies movies have a, a way bigger budget usually or at least Hollywood Hollywood movies like the the blockbuster ones you know. Mm -hmm. And so for, I haven't worked on that many. I, I worked on, I guess the, the biggest budget one I worked was Transformers. And so when I worked on that, it was like, you have like, I, I wasn't even working directly with the team. I was just working with the, um, with the art director. Oh, okay. And so... And so, uh, like, I am as in, like, I didn't need to, I didn't need to check up with any other artists. I was just like directly with him, and he like figured out with the others, I guess. And so, mm -hmm. so, but the team was, I knew the team was huge because, like, when I, whenever I check files, so whenever I just like, there's, there's hundreds of artists. Right. Well, maybe not hundreds concept artists specifically, but there's, you know, maybe fifty concept artists, fifty three Z artists, and like all that kind of stuff, like some. And so, uh, so like to, to the thing you mentioned, like to pull it out sort of out of imagination, like, like a piece for a scene or something like this, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of, it's kind of hit and miss as well, because you have like so many artists that you just tell them like, okay, we have like this thing in mind, kind of give mm -hmm. us some idea, some visuals, some ideas to what it might look like. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of artists produce a bunch of stuff and a lot of it is going to be throwaway. So it's, it's 90% of the stuff is not even going to make into the movie or into anything coherent that will be in the scene. And so right. 50, 50 artists will produce sort of different pieces or different kind of keyframes or different just like designs for, you know, what a character or a costume or something is going to look like. 
And then also are either the art director or the director himself, uh, they're generally just going to check and it's like, okay, this is the right direction. Let's go with this. And then the 40 other pieces, they're going to like, just basically like, yeah, this is not going to work for us. Like, let's, let's focus on this. So it's uh, on big projects. I'd say it's specifically because of the volume of work that a lot of artists produce. It's just easier. It's also in the same, in, in a similar way, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to Google and you're like, okay, I like, you know, I like cathedrals with like this kind of like uh, right. interior. And you just, because there's so many, you just Google and you have like thousands of pictures. You can just pick the ones you like. And here it's a similar way where you get like produce like 50, 100 pieces. You can just like pick the ones you like. And then the rest is like, even though they were created, they're not really part of the, of the end, the end project. And Right. Especially if you're working with like an art director at that point, because he's basically just trying to put together a board for the director and the director goes through and chooses a bunch. Of yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. He, it, it's, it's basically the art director trims down the, the um, kind of the final amount to like a selected few. And then the, the director even goes over that and maybe selects a few specific ones or something like this. So it's like a layered process. Hmm. Now, you have a very specific style, and I think this is one of the things that drew me to it, is I love, not only do I love the way that you sketch your creatures, but I also like the atmosphere that you build within them, and I like the um, the uh, volumetrics and the the atmosphere, like the smoke and the haze, and, and, and the color spectrum is really cool. Mm-hmm. And you also have, seem to have like a really good grasp on um, camera positioning and camera angles and stuff like that, which I like. Um, how does it how does it work for you? So if you're going to sit down and come up with an idea, do you randomly have like a dream about a horned monster one night and then you start to draw it out? Or is it like a more organic process for you? Like, how does it work? Mm, it, can, it can be both ways, honestly. But yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's kind of like just improvising on the go. So like maybe I have some little clue of what I want to do. Like, uh, yeah. like you, like you, let's say like you were, you were saying was the um, Diane Embers series. I was just like, the 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 thought that I had is just like okay I want like a bunch of fire in there like that was the that was the the idea mm-hmm. I want fire and shadows because it's like the dying embers kind of um like the 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 idea behind it is just like having this contrast when in the fire there's like really bright spots and then like those kind of dying embers that are just black or near black so mm-hmm. it, it was just that. And so I looked at a few fire pictures and just like started like doing something with demons, which is pretty comfort zone for me. And, but, <laughs> but sometimes, yeah, but sometimes it's also like something where I have a really clear idea or rather I have a really kind of like, um, with a few pieces uh, that are very complex, I guess, because Dianembers is a bit, at least like sort of the the narrative there is very simplistic there's nothing going on right in, ter- right. in terms of like you know like interactions something like this and there's constant like there's borderline conceptual pieces where like a lot of stuff is going on and you need to kind of show well well me or another artist or whoever does like this kind of illustration or this kind of like pieces like they need to show like specific kind of like either gestures or like composition or like whatever is going on in the scene, you kind of need to, you need to sketch a lot more just to, just to, just to make sure that, oh yeah, yeah, this composition is going to work best for this kind of piece or like something like this. So there's a lot of prep work, 
mm-hmm. but also like as as you go there's lots of tweaking as as it goes so yeah. maybe less may, in 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 that sense maybe less um organic but rather more calculated i guess but um yeah yeah just no, just cool. like just like lots of lots more lots more like step by step rather than just going like uh like in dying embers you can just start and then just like painting painting fires and if you're tired of fires just start painting demons you know like like this kind of <laughs> so yeah it, it, that, the, the, that's that series was very pleasant i think i finished all four pieces within a week so wow wow yeah. wow and that that leads me to my next question so what is your medium of preference? Are you doing stuff uh, all digitally? Are you working on like a Wacom tablet? Are you doing stuff with actual physical media? Like, like how do you work on your stuff? Uh, pretty much, pretty much most of it is purely digital. Uh, mm-hmm. At least the the stuff in my portfolio, because that's the, also the kind of the kind of work I want to do professionally. So, like, mm-hmm. if somebody sees it all, like that's the kind of stuff they want me to hire for. And yeah, it's on a tablet, uh, like in Photoshop mainly. Sometimes I sometimes I sketch on paper, though maybe lately I, have, I haven't been doing as much. But sometimes I do sketch with just pencils, let's say. But in the end, it still goes all into Photoshop, and then I paint digitally. Yeah, I love it, man. I got because, like I said, when I was younger, I was trained to do it, and I do storyboard work on my stuff. Um, and for quite some time, I was just doing it on on page on on uh, paper. And a few mm. years ago, I actually started to do stuff digitally and it's much faster, like much, much faster to do. Um, one of the most difficult portions of it though, for me was that I had to build my own collection of brushes that I really liked and, mm. and wanted to work with. And a lot of people don't think about that digitally. Do you have your own collection of different brushes that you specifically like to use? And, and did you just hunt them out or did you make them yourself? Like, how does that work? I used to, I used to like um, brushes from certain artists. So like mm-hmm. there, there's a bunch of artists that just basically publish the the brush sets like just free you can download them however you like and so like a few years ago also when I when I was getting I don't know maybe like eight years ago seven years ago when I was just getting more into this kind of general painting stuff mm-hmm. and I was like trying to also figure out all those things like what to do in Photoshop how to handle it I also was looking trying out different brushes from different artists. But in the end, I I um, I keep using the same few, and I made a few of my own, and so I have like a uh, I have a huge brush set, but I use maybe like ten, fifteen brushes like mm. at all times. Let's say, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, even even more, I'd say I use maybe I like only a couple of brushes for the majority of work, like maybe ninety percent of work I've just done was like two or three brushes, and then a few others, uh, very specific ones. Like let's say there's like a brush for kind of bone uh, shapes. Let's say there's mm-hmm. like another brush that I use for kind of particles, so I don't have to to paint. Um, let's say there's like dust floats and something like this in a painting, and like there's a brush that I just like can slam on top instead of like doing each individual kind of particle or something like right, that. Right, right, so right, right. Yeah. Things like that, but they're very small on the painting. Like they don't, they don't really create the painting itself. They're just like small details. Well, it's textures. That's what I really yeah. like about uh, doing the digital stuff is that you can add textures and, and different elements and like you can incorporate like lens flares. You can incorporate all sorts of like stock media and it, it's it's fascinating. It becomes almost like this collage painterly kind of thing and and um especially for concept work because a lot of times 
you have to turn that stuff around pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. It's like I had a production designer that was working on my last film and he was able to actually turn it over pretty quickly because he had all these resources at his disposal. So like if he needed a specific background thing, he would actually bring it in and start to trace that as a basic and then go through and, and develop it out a bit more. So um, it's it's fascinating. There's a term for that. I forget what they call that kind of illustration. It'll come to it, me. You use the photo bashing, basically. It's yeah, right, it, right. If right. you if you use like photos to to just like quickly bash together, basically a painting. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, obviously, you don't do that. <laughs> well, I do sometimes, actually. Like, I mean, sometimes it is kind of well, not so much required, but yeah, it is. It is way faster if you if you. It's because some concept art doesn't need to look pretty. They just it just need to get the idea across. Mm-hmm. So like when 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 I'm working on a project and they say okay we have like we need like five environment pieces that just like can be they can be whatever they don't have to look pretty but we need like specific ideas so one needs to have one needs to be like a desert with like frozen parts in it let's say something weird you know something that mm-hmm. you kind of need to do concept art no matter what because the project requires it but it it doesn't need to look like a like a you know finished kind of polished like a fully rendered piece yeah. yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't need to it doesn't need to be specifically detailed just sort of to get the idea across so you do use photos you can just take like some backgrounds of desert let's say and some ice you know glaciers or whatever and just like sort of mix them together for a quick mm-hmm. result and just uh, like give, give this for like a like preemptive kind of look and they're like yeah yeah this is good and so you just go like it's like a, a like five hours of work so just yeah. to have like a just to have a quick visual something like this that's cool man and that, so when you start and I, I I find this stuff really fascinating so we're gonna get real nerdy about it I think it's cool and sure. the people at home listen <laughs> um, but uh, when you start do you are you uh, more concerned about general lines of energy so are you sort of like looking for that perspective of those lines of energy or do you start very specific on a detail like how does it work for you Hmm. Mm, well, I'm. I don't think I. I mean, personally, I don't think I have a preference. Like it's. It just like whatever. Whatever I feel in the mood, in I guess. Like, hmm. if if That's I cool. if I feel like if I feel like the if I feel like the piece could be could benefit more from being very detailed, then I can draw out a bit more of like some smaller details. You know, go into finer stuff, I guess. But if I feel like it's just about uh, you know, maybe just about like sort of the feel of it, like the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So like, in, so like a, it could be a, a speed painting that I spend, you know, two hours on, but it can have, I, I can, I can, I can decide that it it would not really gain much by spending like five hours more on it just to draw out like you know, facial features or something. Like that. And right. so I can just leave it at, at like this speed painting kind of level. And I feel like it would it would be at its most effective in a way, like time to to like uh, effect ratio, I guess. So like yeah. not over not overspending too much on on the details would be probably been more beneficial for this kind of thing. And so yeah, it, it kind of depends, I guess. But I don't really have a preference. Okay, everybody, it's time. It's that time. It's time for us to do 
uh, our sponsor reads it's time to show some love to the people that continue to support the show um, and uh, before I get into the specific sponsor reads for this I also want to just thank you guys for the consistent support that I get from you um, and those of you who follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, you follow the podcast at Love of the Process Pod on Instagram. Thank you so much. Uh, you guys have been suggesting guests. I've been going after those guests. Um, and just right now, while you're listening to the show, jump on there. I know you're listening on your phone, right? But I know you're scrolling through Instagram at the same time. Just head on over to my Instagram and say, hey, Mike, I'm listening to the show right now. Or if you finish the show, tell me, I liked it, I hated it, you're a piece of shit. Whatever you want to do. I'm totally fine with that. Um, but you can either do that at Mike Petchy on Instagram or at the podcast Instagram page in Love with the Process Pod. That's in Love with the Process P-O-D on Instagram. Um, and if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or if you are listening to this on Spotify, rate the show, leave a review. Because if you leave reviews, even if you leave a second or third review, if you leave reviews, I get higher on the lists. The higher I am on the lists, the easier chances I'm going to get to get bigger and better guests, right? So continuously do so, guys. I really appreciate it when you do. Now, on to the sponsor reads. First up, the boys, the good guys over at Puget Systems. If you are an illustrator, if you're an artist, if you're uh, trying to get your fucking Wacom tablet to register on the on an older computer and you get in that pinwheel of death it's time to buy a new machine and as you know pcs are just as good as a mac these days if not better because you can straight up customize these things specifically to your needs so let's say you want to build a beefy banging photoshop system there's a specific uh calibration of hardware that you should do for it right so this is the danger in building your own PC. When I built my own PCs when I was younger, I would just go through the trades. I'd go online and go, what's the newest graphics card? What is the best RAM on the market right now? Okay, what motherboard do I need for that? And then let me try to figure it out. And this is painful when you're dealing with video edit stuff because people aren't really posting specifically what they're using for video edit stuff. So you're kind of guessing. I guess this huge graphics card would be perfect for it because if it runs this amazing video game, then it'd be good for the video editing stuff. That's not true, believe it or not. Um, and the thing that's really interesting about Puget Systems is that these guys benchmark test all this hardware. So they will get this new hardware and they will put it to the test. They will see how well it works with Photoshop. They will see how well it works with Premiere. They will see how well it works with After Effects. And the results will astound you that oftentimes an older graphics card works better than a newer graphics card with that program, okay? So go to PugetSystems.com, check them out. You can build a custom-based PC based upon the software you use. And if you're someone that is just building your own PC, they post all their benchmark tests there on their website. But being a professional at this point, moving on beyond those days where I had to troubleshoot why my build didn't work, I need a computer that I can open up in the box, put it out, turn it on, and get going. And these guys have solid customer support, better than AppleCare, because it's a real fucking person that's talking to you on the phone, right? Really great stuff. Go check them out. I can't say enough good things about them. PugetSystems.com. Next up, 
my good buddies over at Quasar Science, one of the coolest advancements in our movie industry um, is the lighting technology, the LED technology. Everybody seems to think that the cameras are the hot shit. No, it's the lights that are really amazing right now. And when you look at all these amazingly shot programs, because everybody has fucking amazing cinematography lately, um, it's because of LED tech, right? With, with uh, LED technology, you have lights that temperature-wise, like physical temperature-wise, run cooler than the older lights. So you don't have sets that are 110 degrees because you're running a bunch of tungsten sources, right? Um, but then these lights uh, come balanced for daylight. They come balanced for interior lights for tungsten. Uh, you can get rainbow LEDs that will literally give you any color in the spectrum. And the thing that's great about these LED lights is that they're specifically built for no flicker, for flicker, fl- for flicker free. Ooh, talk about a tongue twister on that one. For flicker free shit when you're actually recording your movies you won't get like that scan line shit where you'll get with cheap leds or if you notice like christmas lights led christmas lights they give you these weird scan lights you don't get any of that they're completely built for film sets for first for shooting movies um and any color of the rainbow amazing and a lot of them are battery powered they don't draw that much power really cool stuff and if you're someone that is listening to me do a really horrible job (laughs) floundering my way through this read but you work in the lighting industry, and I tell you, Quasar Science, you go, of course, they are one of the leaders of it. They, like anytime you see a grip truck on a movie set, they're loaded with Quasar products. They're always on the truck. So if you're a young independent producer and you're trying to put together your own little kit, and let's say you're driving around in a hatchback, you don't have a lot of room in it, you don't have room for a giant case, uh, these uh, Quasar tubes are amazing. There's like one foot, two foot, four foot tubes, Super lightweight. You can put them in a small bag. You can literally stick them behind your seat. Um, And they're a great kit. They're good for soft lights. They're good for edge lights. Um, They're fantastic. I can't say enough good things about these guys as well. So go to quasarscience.com. Check them out. And they will let you know. I don't know if they're actually selling their products there. But you can check out all the new products there. And then you can buy them from... They'll tell you uh, who the retailers are. The authorized retailers. So I'm sure like B&H. There's a bunch of places that do. So, go check them out, quasarscience.com. Um, and I think those are the reads. I'm going to do a read two for Rule. Uh, so, Rule Boston Camera. So, if you are an uh, independent filmmaker, if you're a photographer, one of the best things that you could possibly do for your career is make, form a really good relationship with your local rental house. Um, and if you're on the East Coast, Rule Boston Camera... Uh, is one of the best above New York. They're the best. They carry all of the latest and greatest gear. Um, and so if you want to get your hands on stuff, if you want to play with those new toys that were used to shoot, shoot that movie that you want to emulate, right? Uh, you can go and make an uh, appointment with those guys and actually get your hands on that tech and learn how to use that tech. Um, and then you'll have that at your disposal uh, anytime you need it. Um, it's very easy to start an account with them. A lot of people get scared about the insurance stuff. They'll walk you through it. It's super simple to do. Um, And then at the end of the day, you can always count on the gear working. And if it doesn't work, they'll replace it. So they keep this stuff maintained. They make sure it goes out the door ready to rock. But as we all know, equipment goes down on you. Always does. And isn't it nice to be renting from a place that you're shooting locally and be able to have 
that peace of mind for your producer and say, look, if this gear goes down, they're going to talk me through it or they're going to ship out another one. They'll drive it out to set and set it up for me. So really important thing, make a good, strong relationship with your local rental house. Um, and like I said, if you're on the East Coast, rule Boston camera is the way to go. All right, those are the reads. Let's get back into it with Chris. It's fascinating because like, I'm, I'm friends with a bunch of different comic book artists and guys that do comic book stuff. And those dudes get paid uh, page to page. So they get paid mm. on a page to page basis. And then you look at these different comic book artists. And one of my buddies uh, is Ben Templesmith. He did uh, 30 Days a Night. He did mm. um, uh, Wormwood and that stuff. And he specifically developed his style to be incredibly loose and incredibly quick to do. Um, because he knew that he would only get a certain amount of money per page. So he was mm-hmm. like, I gotta, I have to be able to bang on a page in a specific amount of time to do that. But then you look at someone like Jeff Darrow's, who did the Hard Boiled series, he did the concept work for the Matrix movies, and that guy's a great... Like, he literally starts in on a detail. I saw him draw once where he started on a pipe in a room, and he just in a circular fashion, built up this entire room with no references. He didn't do any references on it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, God, you're a madman. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's fascinating how different artists' brains work and how like the spark of an idea starts and then how it translates itself to your hand and then how you look at that page and sort of process what that space is and then how you develop that space. That's the most exciting portion of it, I think. Um, it's watching, especially when you're watching an artist draw, it's just like, okay, this is how their brain is functioning. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely cool. It would be really cool to watch like streams of concept artists, I would say more than illustrators because illustrators actually stream more or like show the process more because in the end, the, the images, um, they're polished. They're like the image itself for, of uh, like an illustrator for, mm-hmm. let's say, you know, like a trading card game, like Magic the Gathering, let's say, or something mm-hmm. like this. So, like, the, the images themselves are more kind of, like, pretty and, like, more polished looking. Like, but but they draw, whenever whenever you tune in to a stream of an illustrator, it's, like, it's very slow because they, they'll be, like, drawing detail, like, you right. know, embroidery on, like, dresses and all this <laughs> stuff. It's, like, it's like in the end, it looks really cool when it all comes together, but it's just slow. It's like a painting can be like twenty plus hours. So yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. on a stream. On a stream, you'd have to watch the same painting like for a week, basically, if you were to watch this artist. And so, but for concept artists, you can tune in if they if they did more streaming because I I I, I kind of want to start streaming myself, but it's just like for concept artists, it's a bit weird because you can't usually show what you're doing yeah you can you can show you can show your client work for sure because it's usually also like early early project like early in the project so you can't like spoil the project that way and so you just like you you can't you can never stream that kind of stuff yeah and so and so it's like there's no there's almost no concept artist streaming at all so it's but it would be a cool cool kind of thing to see because it's like you just tune into a stream you you watch it for like two hours and you get like a finished like well not a finish but like a speed painting that looks cool by the yeah. end and yeah. so yeah that, that'll be that'll be really cool and yeah for for concept arts it's definitely like 
like those those faster pieces that you can manage it's like they're they're pretty cool to see how they how they really quickly get together compared mm. to an, an illustration yeah so <clears throat> what kind of work is uh what do you find inspiring all the time like where do you go when you need to find an idea like <clears throat> yeah i get i get this question all the time and like about inspiration and i'm actually i um i went from from knowing how to answer it to not knowing to then like <laughs> kind of knowing again and now i'm not sure it's it's <laughs> it's because it's because when i feel like when beginner artists ask me that you know like people who get into art and they they're not sure what to do and mm-hmm. they ask me like okay so how do you how do you come up with this stuff like what do you do you know with this kind of stuff and i was like um I used to just tell him like, yeah, man, like just, you know, listen to some music, you know, like, you know, <laughs> it's cause it's the usual, like listen to some music, go, to, go watch a movie, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's how it works because sometimes music, sometimes when I listen to, to music that I like a lot, I'm sort of like, yeah, this gets me in the mood to paint, but it feels to me more like motivation rather than inspiration. Yes, Be- because it it just it just drives me to work, but it doesn't sort of give me you know listening to a song doesn't doesn't make me draw anything specific. It just makes me draw, right. and so and so it doesn't inspire me with ideas. It just it just kind of motiv- motivates me to sit down and like paint. And so like may- maybe there is like this distinction that that like some some people don't make between like just being motivated to just sit down and do the work compared to like getting those ideas up. And I'm not too sure where specifically I get my ideas from. So for the Dying Ember series, I, like I said, I was just like, I don't know, maybe I saw some picture of fires and I was like, okay, this could be, I can turn this into a painting. And it gave Mm -hmm. me like those ideas. Mm -hmm. But uh, other times it's something very vague that I just sort of start. I I try to figure this out a lot, actually. I even listen to interviews of writers. So like Mm -hmm. there was this uh, interesting piece that I... An interview by Stephen King, and he was he was also asked like so like how do you you know like how do you come up with all this stuff like all this you know the same question basically yeah and he was and he was like saying like you know like like uh, he was he was making a joke about it he was like a lot of people when they ask this question they assume because he writes horror stories so a lot of people when they ask him he, he they assume that. Something went wrong in his childhood, you know, like <laughs> that he was traumatized, and then he starts like, like, you know, writing about murderous clowns right, and all that like stuff. Like he's spending his weekends burying dead. Pets yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that's his actual <laughs> life or something. Like he's surrounded by by monsters in 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 real life or something like that. Yeah. And so he made this jo- made this joke, and then he has, he says like, yeah, he he does he has no clue how this like how this specifically like those specific things come out. He mm-hmm. said, like, it's just like stories. He was always attracted to this kind of genre. And it's just like, it's just what he does, I guess. So it's similar to me. I always, I always liked fantasy. I always liked uh, sort of darker stuff rather than sort of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And I guess like the games and movies that I, and stories and books that I read is mostly like kind of in, in a similar genre. So it just like, it's deeply rooted, I guess, in, in what I do. So I don't, I don't have anything specific. You'd have to grow up or like, like be kind of in this kind of, um, or in whatever else you do. Like maybe some people are more into sci-fi and that's what mm-hmm. they do, but it, it, I don't think it's something you can just pick up. So when, when somebody asks like, Hey, uh, you know, I also want to do demons is like, 
I don't think you'd be lacking inspiration if that's really what you wanted to do. It's like it's already be part of you. You just didn't know like maybe how to do it. You maybe lacked the specific uh, right. set of skills to do in, in Photoshop or like the motivation. But I don't think you would kind of be looking for ideas in regards to that. You would already have ideas. You just didn't know how to execute them. So it's some, strange. It's strange. Yeah, because yeah, it's the same thing with what I do. So. Because I do a lot of, uh, I started uh, as a cinematographer and, and learned about lighting. And the thing that I love about lighting is it's essentially painting, but painting with real, like in real life. So you're mm -hmm. actually going through the process of manipulating light and splashing light from different places. And then if you're using haze and smoke, you're capturing light, you can see light. It's really fascinating. And I have a very specific way that I like to see light done. And subconsciously, I'm doing it that way. Subconsciously, I'm sort of building these looks that um, I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it came from the movies I saw in my childhood. I don't know if it came from, I'm sure a lot of it came from comic books because I was reading a lot of comic books. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's weird how that works. You, you end up having sort of like this second, sort of like this muscle memory, this guttural memory. <clears throat> and the more I work, the easier it is to do. And, and that's a question for you. Do you sketch every day? Or are you someone that has to keep that motivation going by like doing a consistent regimen or do you just sketch whenever you feel like it? Like how does it work? Uh, for, per for personal work, I just, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I go without doing anything kind of anything particular. So like sometimes I have, I guess you could say like dry kind of weeks or something where like I, mm -hmm. I sometimes do have like almost like a week where I don't even touch anything art related. I mean, I, I do, I always kind of look at art. Like there's, there's probably a day doesn't go by where I don't look specifically at art. So like at art station or like some people that I follow and, and all that. Mm -hmm. But there is sometimes where there is sometimes periods where I don't do it myself specifically. Like like for example, over the holidays, like recently, like yeah. there were like some there, there were like some days and like a week or something where I just wasn't doing anything. Just. You know. <laughs> Dude, it yeah, was like so, a few weeks for me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, for, for directing or like for doing like your kind of work, it might be a bit like oh, harder. Because okay. for me, it's I just worst. can open up Photoshop, you know, like <laughs> I, can just, I can just open my, my program and just start doing it. But I sometimes do feel kind of on the lazy side where I don't, don't, don't do that or like mm -hmm. don't do anything like even uh, like I, I could be, I could be, or rather I should be like doing it every day, even if it's mm -hmm. like, let's say 30 minutes, you know, like mm -hmm. just opening Photoshop and just doing any kind of sketching, even if it doesn't go anywhere. I think that's a good sort of, um, that's a good thing to do for artists in general, especially like for learning artists. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you feel like it or not. If you do at least half an hour a day, you're going to, in a year, you'll see a difference basically. Yeah. But, uh, but sometimes, yeah, sometimes whatever, some other things get in the way or like, you know, like I just don't feel like it too much. Or, and so I, I do feel a bit lazier on those days, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I don't feel, I don't feel like if, if I have a week off and then I get back into it, I never feel like it, that I, you know, I'm out of touch or like that I, that I'm rusty or something like that. So it would have to be something, something else entirely that I feel like my, my skills diminished in a way. Right. It's right, it's right. very because because I think actually I think actually the skill with art, it's um yeah, a lot of people talk about also I'm I'm pretty sure this question would come up eventually. You know, like talent versus versus sort of like learned skill. You know what I mean? Right. Like mm -hmm. born born with talent versus like learning it, you know, like putting in like hard work. And I think it's it's kind of 
with art specifically or with anything kind of like creative, it's very overvalued, like how much you can be born with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because like, I would say like painting, like actually gripping the pen and like knowing like which kind of brush strokes to do and all this stuff. I, I think it's very minimal to what you actually know about how an image works. If you have the knowledge of how visuals work and like optics and like all of the like bounce lights and all of the like effects, like, you know, values, compositions, colors, all this stuff. If you know it very well, I think you can learn how to paint in a month, you know, like, like how to draw actually. Cause, cause drawing or like, you know, using a brush itself is not really a big deal. It's more like the experience of how you can, how, how you can put it in a painting because every painting, even if you do the same composition, like even if you try to copy, even if you, even if you take the Mona Lisa and try to copy it like bit by bit, mm-hmm. it's still going to turn out like a different, there's still going to be something that's not in the original painting that you have sort of to improvise on. Because right. like, it's just like you, you do it a little bit differently and that's like, it's going to be like question marks for you. Like how, how do, how do I handle this? And so if you, if you don't have the knowledge behind it, if you don't have the knowledge how to draw a face or like, you know, do like reflections on the eyes or something like this, you're going to get stuck there no matter what, even if you know how, even if you have 10 years of experience, like just painting something else. So it's, it's, it's really about like knowledge and for concept artists, I, Sorry if I'm like taking too much on this. Dude, it's great. Keep going. And so like for concept artists also, it's important to have um, like a really big and varied visual library. So like knowing how stuff looks. So just like looking, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, a lot of people think of it also as like, let's say traveling or seeing something for for, for real, like with your own eyes. So mm-hmm. like, for example, I look at like, I just buy casually, existing in spain i look at a bunch of cathedrals so it's like i don't even need reference for it like i can just start start drawing some because i've seen them so many i literally live two minutes away from one so i can see it from (laughs) my window you know and so it's like it's like i don't even need references most of the time for this kind of architecture this kind of stuff so if you if you for concept artists if if they have a lot of visual kind of imagery in their mind like just a visual library for this, the things they're about to draw or to, to just like, even, even if it's photo bashing too, they, mm-hmm. they just know how it looks already or they know how, how like certain things can go. You have like for concept artists, there's like this thing where uh, when, when you're try to, trying to design something completely new, let's say an alien spaceship, right? Mm-hmm. And the art director is like, well, we want it to be like, you know, based on mushrooms, let's say something crazy, you know, like, <laughs> so an alien spaceship that looks like a mushroom. And you're like, if, if you, if you seen a bunch of mushrooms, let's say in your childhood, you went, you know, gathering mushrooms with your parents or something like this, you live near a forest or something like that, mm-hmm. which I've done on occasion. Mm-hmm. Just, just saying like, suppose that's what you were doing in a childhood. You don't even need to think twice about it. It was like, oh yeah, sure. I know like 50 different types of mushrooms. I can just start doing it. And it's like, it's, it's speed, but it's also like, you don't need to do any research or you don't need to like sort of wonder what it can look like. So a visual library for concept artists is actually very important. It's like, you can, you can just, that's, that's how like the top ones, that's how they can do, uh, when they, when they start a project, that's how they can produce like, like dozens of sort of quick, quick speed paintings in a week, you know? Because they, the, they physically have a library full of all these different resources. Yeah, yeah. They, they, well, they have physically and they also like know it by heart. Like they don't need to like, they don't need to Google 
when they when they confront when they're oh, confronted gotcha, with yeah. something new, they don't need to Google. Oh, what does this look like? They already mm-hmm. know, so they're like, oh, I can use even if they're confronted with like let's say a spaceship that looks like a mushroom. They're like, oh yeah, cool, but I can also use like you know maybe some different maybe maybe like um, maybe some sea life you know that can also work for that because it looks a bit mushroomy. Let's say you know like yeah. something like this. So they they if if you have a big library like if you have it all in your mind, you don't need to do extra. You don't need to spend extra time like doing research on that. So you can just like either look it up or use something that you already have that can work as this kind of thing. So you know it's just like it's more versatile in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. It's fascinating because then you're. <clears throat> You're t- you're you're essentially cataloging things in your life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you said that you at one point used to go and forge for mushrooms. You never think when you're fucking forging for mushrooms that like, right. hey, you know, maybe I'm going to build a mushroom spaceship someday. You yeah. know, um, but it's fascinating how much information our brain actually retains. Where you sort of you spend those times working with mushrooms. Like I cook a lot, so like when you're dealing with portobellos, you know that there's a certain amount of ribbing that happens underneath, and you mm-hmm. you understand how the stem feeds into it because you've just handled them enough. Um, and that's I think that's essentially what you're saying is that those guys that are asked to do that specifically, and you are someone that has handled mushrooms enough, it's like I know exactly how that curvature works. I know where the stem goes in. I know all these different aspects of it. And I know what the texturing on the outside of it feels like. And maybe that texturing would feel really good on the surface of a spaceship kind of yeah. thing. And yeah, so exactly. Yeah. It's strange how that works. I, it, and, but that's, that's, I mean, that's storytelling, right? So whether you're talking about being a screenplay writer or you're talking about being a director, it's the, they get better with age. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Martin Scorsese is really good right now because he's what in his seventies or something. So he's, had enough time to to absorb how human beings react to different things like uh had enough time to absorb music and all these different things that that uh make his work really great yeah um and that's the struggle you know because then you're dealing as a i i i never believe and i've said this before on the show i I don't believe in like born art. Like, I don't think you like are you come into this world and suddenly you're like, I'm a genius. Like I can figure out all these details. I think certain people are born to see things differently. Like their brain is wired to actually mm-hmm. process the world a little bit differently and understand whether you, you understand spatial stuff differently or whether you process problems differently. Um, and I think that's obviously a helpful thing when you're, when you're, conceiving something but i don't think people come out and it's just like i'm gonna paint the mona lisa you know what i mean wait yeah. wait until i get to five years old where i can move my hand the way i want to and then, then right. i'll make the point you know i don't think that exists i think that's like fairy tale promotional story shit that people like to put around and, and inflate artists <laughs> yeah actually I, I actually i think i specifically thought about something you know how sometimes there's a there's like a nectar or something yeah, who's like the career's going a bit downhill, and then they, they, there's like like news article appear where it's like, oh, this guy is actually also a genius, you know, artist or something like this, and there's like those garbage paintings of like just like sprayed paint or something like that, yeah. like as if as if he had the natural like talent for painting like all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> because, so I, I meant more like this, like you can't just like pick up like painting if you haven't done it before and be like a genius, like yeah, that definitely doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that baloney like uh pr stuff man yeah yeah definitely you know it's all that craziness 
Um, I'm, I'm, this is really great, man. I'm really happy to be ch- chatting with you. Cause, oh, yeah, um, me too, yeah. I, I love this stuff. And, and like I said, being a filmmaker, for me, it's all about inspiration, you know? And it's all about, mm-hmm. you know, you have this ability to tell a story and you're telling a story about human experiences. And for me, I do a lot of horror stuff. So um, I like to tell stories that scare folks. And then you're sort of processing what it is that people find scary, you know? And we live in a time right now where there's a lot of things to be scared. I mean, like, you know... Australia's on fire right now. There's a lot of things oh, yeah, to be yeah. scared about. Um, <clears throat> and the thing that I, instead of, I, I see this is what's fascinating about like, like the Fading Embers piece and stuff like that. You can take these elements, like these guttural elements that uh, trigger fear without being heavy handed about it. You know what I mean? So you can actually come out and just start to draw like a very specific flame element and then introduce this character and the shadow figure in that element. And then just at a glance, because we register things visually really quickly. Mm-hmm. So just at a, at a glance, you sit there and you go, okay, so that room's really hot and there's a lot of heat. And then the, and this is what I like about your illustrations, like the edging on this character are really sharp, makes him very dangerous. And, and I can actually feel the flickering uh, you know, shadow that comes off of that character and the emotion in that. Um, and it's so interesting because the illustration's not moving. You know what I mean? Like the painting's right. not moving. Our brain is filling in all those details. Our brain is filling in how warm it is, is in that space. And our brain is like, um, this is what I think it smells like in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. And, and I think with concept art more than illustration, because concept art... Generally, especially if you're doing like key illustrations for scenes and stuff, generally it starts to set a mood. And yeah. I, I think as a director, that's why it's n- it's never like, hey, technically, how do I make this creature specifically? It's like, how, what's the tone? What's the mood? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the scale? What's the scope of this thing? Um, and then you can try to build it practically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Concept art is more like it's usually just like about one thing. So like, it's like if you if you have a if you have a specific scene or or shot in mind, you're like, okay, this has to look like you know scary or something, and that's like the only thing you focus. You don't care about like, oh, you know, like I don't need to design this dress or I don't need, you know, right. like you just focus on one thing. That's why it comes off so strong, I guess. Like because you you don't you you're very like centric about this like specific thing you want to achieve rather than like the entire painting like being detailed or something like that so yeah concept art is very focused like that that's very cool man it's very cool so what are you working on now but and can you talk about it is there anything cool that you're working on uh well i'm i'm i just finished uh before before the crazy holidays i just finished like uh um like six weeks of work on some game project but I'm probably gonna continue with them. It's just like it was like for um, for a pitch, but it was 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 a big studio, so I, I think they're gonna be fine. Yeah. So, so I'll I'll I'm I'm not sure when I'll continue back on. Probably was on February in February somewhere. I don't yeah. know, but yeah, probably probably with those guys. And I have like um like other small. I usually do uh, like during this kind of downtime in between, like either during holidays or maybe there is like sort of. Whenever, whenever there's like a break in a in a long project, I usually accept um, some smaller 
commissions. So like, you know, book covers or album covers, or like maybe somebody needs a poster or whatever, like those kind of singular pieces that I can do just like in a few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like a, f- a few of those that I'm working on, but nothing really crazy, I guess. Cool. I finished, I, I finished, um, uh, during summer, I finished a few, like a handful of illustrations for Magic the Gathering, actually. But there, I can't, uh, I guess I can spoil because they're, they're not really, they, they, they just hire like a bunch of artists. So it's not really, you know, it's not really some big project that's going to reveal anything, just like a bunch of cards with cool illustrations. So, I can say that I, that I work with them, but I I don't think I can show anything yet. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like this kind of stuff. That's cool. it's usually yeah. It's it's kind of it's kind of sad because I have to I have to wait like for a year or something before I can post or show anything. You know, it's <laughs> frustrating. Welcome to my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like five years. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, that's cool. So, what did you just do? Illustrations for specific cards, so like specific characters for the cards, or is yeah, they, they did. Well, I did. I did a couple of monsters for them, like mm-hmm. the, a couple of card illustrations with monsters, and a few sort of landscapes or like just scenery illustrations. So they they they're all, I guess, on the creepy side. Like <laughs> I was actually a bit worried because. Because uh, Magic the Gathering isn't that creepy, you know. They yeah. they usually have like just more, you know, very colorful. I mean, I do colorful images too, but they they're usually more on the on the brighter side than than mine. So when I was doing it, I <laughs> when I because because I also talked. Um, they also have a, a handful of art directors, and so I worked with several. Mm-hmm. And so like like I the first one that I work I worked with. <clears throat> Uh, he he sent me like they don't even send like a like a very detailed briefing. They just say they just you know it's like a few lines of description and then just kind of you know you make up the rest. Yeah. And so and so even though it's illustration, so it's like you know you you make it very detailed, but you can fill up fill out the gap the gaps yourself basically as an artist. And so I was as I was doing, I was like, oh man, this this looks way too dark. Like it was like it was <laughs> it, it was like like pure horror kind of stuff. And I send it, I send it to the guy, and he's like, he's like one of the one image was kind of okay, but the other was like, yeah, this is like we need to kind of you know brighten up a bit, like, you know. And I was like, I was I was starting to get a bit worried because I was like, I was like, I don't really wanna because because you know it it the image did look kind of cool and 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 like interesting. But I didn't want to make it like way too bright, so I was like, I think I ended up like doing it like like very little kind of tweaks and fixes. Yeah. But I I ended up doing it like 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 raising up the sort of the um, the brightness and like highlights <laughs> and stuff like maybe ten different times or something because we kept going back to it. Yeah, but eventually they liked it, so it's That's fine. Great. Yeah. Now I run into the same problem, man. We both have that sort of uh, dark tone. I was pitching a movie and. Um, I was pitching it to the agent and, uh, we pitched them the end and they're like, Jesus, does it have to be that dark? <laughs> does, yeah. does that thing, ha- does that person have to die? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. scarier. Right. And they're like, it's too scary. I'm like, oh, no, do, you, do, do they even have to ask? Like, of course he has to die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. It's a horror movie. It always blows my mind whenever I'm pitching horror movies or whenever I'm trying to make a horror movie and. And people are just like, it's too scary. I'm like, how can it be too scary? That's the yeah, idea. Yeah. That's like going on a roller coaster and saying it's too fast. It's it's yeah. a horror movie. That's what you're specifically going to see is something that is scary and vicious and evil. Um, 
and uh, I run into that same I run into that same problem. I don't know what it is. I think it's a pure. I have a pure. I get pleasure out of <laughs> making people scared and uncomfortable. I get like a pure child displeasure <laughs> out of scaring the hell out of people. So I think it just comes yeah. Dark happen. dark images actually they they also tend to be more subtle. I I feel like compared mm-hmm. to to like let's say something that sh- you know like a scene that shot at night compared to a scene that shot during the day. Let's say yeah. Like it's, you can you can you can make a lot more subtle hints in there because it's like you know it's all in the shadows I guess. Yeah. Now it's an interesting. I'm actually dealing with this dilemma with the scene that we're doing right now, which um, <clears throat> takes place during the day. And so I think one of the big tricks, especially when you're doing special effects, um, and you probably know this, um, is that you're. It's super expensive to see, like if you had the Hulk step mm-hmm. out in the middle of New York City during the day. And you had to build him with CGI, or even if you were doing like like physical effects, you mm-hmm. have to do twice the amount of detail and and painstaking detail because everything is in like the harshest of sunlight and you can see everything. Yeah. yeah. And when you're designing a monster and you're doing a monster sequence during the day, it's like, oh my god, do I have to see? Like, how do I? How do I? disguise this and there's a lot of different ways of doing it you can use haze and you can use smoke and you can use environment and you can use rain and you can use all these different techniques i mean there's a reason why the last godzilla movie all took place majority at night with snow and rain and all that mm-hmm. stuff it's it helps them cut cost so that they don't have to go through the process of rendering every scale on him yeah you know what i mean yeah, um, yeah. It but, also also not just uh, sorry. Did I no go 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 for it? Yeah. Also, like yeah, cost wise, but also yeah, the you know sometimes even in big budget movies, like you, even the ones that have money, you sometimes see special effects that are sort of a bit you know they are a little out of place if you know. Yeah. What I mean. And like yeah, it, it does help if you have like a bit darker, a bit like hazier kind of like atmosphere. So it like even in big budget, I'd say it could there could be benefits to just like. It, yeah, it's like that weird. It's like a wash. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, um, like a varnish that you just put over the image at, at the mm-hmm. back end. It, and that's a lot of that is in the composition and the compositing work that they do. But um, I find that when you have that atmosphere, it's like that final wash that seems to tie in the creature into that space. It's like putting you know film grain on something where mm-hmm. it's just like it just feels more organic with that yeah you know um but also when you're doing stuff in the darkness the thing that is great and this comes back to your work the thing that's really great about shadow work and shadow plays is that you literally fill in the blanks so like if you're seeing like a giant creature that's silhouetted and most of his body is a shape and then it comes up to this face that has like these uh, deep red eyes or or whatever it is your mind is going like what is in that body like what is in that shape and you're sort of filling in those blanks and oftentimes especially in movies oftentimes what the audience comes up with is a lot more scary than what I can come up with um, and so it's this delicate balance of creating an image that suggests exactly what I want you to feel but then you're filling in those blanks. And it, and I think that's when, especially with movies, I think that's when movies are better. Like if you have a film that narratively says, okay, so 
Third act. This is why this character did this, and this is why this happens, and this is the story of this. And you tie it all together at the end. It's a movie that people go, okay, whatever. It was fine. I did, I, I processed it. I watched it. I'm good. Finished. But if you have a movie that's very open-ended, it's like the ending of The Thing, like John Carpenter's The Thing, and the two guys sort of sit there and look at each other, and they go, what do we do now? And he's like, I don't yeah. know. I guess we wait. And you're just like, what? And that's how the movie ends. And you're just like, what happened? Was Kurt Russell the thing? Was he the thing? Did they just freeze to death? Like, wow. And and you spend years thinking about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I like that. I like that. And I think that's the same thing with, with, with artwork and concept artwork, too, where if you can't, you can't see all the lines. You can't see all that stuff. You're, you're, you're literally getting more immersed into this world. And then ultimately, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to trick the viewer into thinking that they can literally put their hand into that piece and then that world exists in there, right? Yeah, you definitely don't want to, to tell like everything just enough so it's like captures somebody and then like they can, they can run from there like with their own imagination. Mm-hmm. It's like also... Uh, I don't know who said it. There's a there's a quote by a writer. I I mean I happen to read a lot like stuff. So cool. it's like it's like just books. I mean, um, it's it, it was like this quote where um, like the hold on let me let me get this right. Um, the sentence is supposed to start with you like as a writer and finish in the reader's imagination. So it's like. It's like you you start like you you never like you never over explain basically you just start you just give enough information to set the scene and the rest is just like up to them. That's why yeah in in horror it's it's probably to to the biggest effect because you never want you know you never want to show a creature clearly because like once especially like in a movie when you have like special effects where you you make a design is like maybe maybe some people will look at it and it's like yeah you know when when I see it in bright light it's it's not as scary you know what I mean mm-hmm. and so it's like. You do want to hide it and like make it a bit more big. That's why all the like in Alien, let's say, it's also like a very dark movie. Everything is like in the shadows, yeah. and the creature is very weird. Like like the design and like the the shapes on it, like all the stuff, like from the Geiger's um, artworks, and like the, like when 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 you look at it, like even in bright daylight, it's weird. But in darkness, it's like you you, you it doesn't have eyes. It, the mouth is weird. Like the head the head is weird, and so it's like. You look at it in the shadows, it's like, what the hell is that? You know, it's like this kind of thing. <laughs> and so that's that's why that's why it's like it's definitely an extra an extra punch to the visual if you if it's weird, but it's also like sort of obscured to the to the point where you kind of like it, it it weirds you out even more just by the fact that you don't know what it is. Yeah. So that is such a wild quote. I never thought about because I've always thought that way about visuals. I never thought that way about writing in a sentence and how that's fascinating, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because then if you start to over, it's just, it's, it's the same thing. If you start to over explain it, you start to button it all up, then the person reading it is more of a passenger and not necessarily an active ingredient in it. Yeah, it's not it's not as uh, it's not as um, rewarding for them to read the story if it's if it's like completely without any kind of you know w- without them figuring out. It's like suppose you're writing a character or you know maybe there's like a plot twist or something and it's completely spilled out for you, you know, like mm-hmm. spoon fed into you like from plot. And it's like it's not as rewarding if uh, compared to something 
that's set up in an interesting way that you get to the conclusion yourself. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so that's definitely part of storytelling for sure. And it's such a it's such a mature part of storytelling because when you're younger, at least you know when I was younger, when you're in that early stage, you're just like, all right, so I have to I have to figure out this whole world and I have to tell everybody exactly what's happening and I have to. I have to uh, know everything. And you do. As a storyteller, you have to have some sort of idea of what the end of that sentence should be. But you also make a mature decision as to when to let it taper off, I think. And when you sit there and you go, this is as much as I'm going to give you because I like the reaction that I'm getting from you not giving you the back end. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's really interesting. That's a great quote. I'm happy you brought that up, man. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I like that one a lot. It was. It was. Uh, I. I don't remember like who said it though. That's fine. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's uh, if you go if you go on a lot of those sort of um, you know book uh, websites where they whatever recommend books or something, there's also like always a section with like great quotes or some you know things like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like you know like I I sometimes like just scroll through. I also scroll through a lot of times. I scroll through. Um, uh, but like sort of great openings to stories, mm. like in writing, and so this is like this opening opening lines to books or something like this, and it's it's like a lot of times you get like this kind of hook from just one sentence, right? Mm-hmm. So like there was a the, my um, like a good one is from let's say uh, the Hobbit from from Tolkien, mm-hmm. and so the opening line in the Hobbit is like maybe I'm sort of paraphrasing it a bit it's like um in in the in the in the earth there is a hole and in the hole they live the hobbit and it's like very simple mm-hmm. but it's like it 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 kind of hooks you because it's like this fairy tale feel to it you know yeah. because it's like oh there is like this thing and then there is like this thing in this thing you know like it's kind of layered like uh, like Alice dropping wait is it Alice dropping in the in the hole in the rabbit hole yeah I think so. oh Alice yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I f- forgot which fairy tale that was yeah anyway. no but it's that's that's a fascinating because visually well actually like writing wise that's so interesting because he's just using very specific terms to draw to draw you in and then those terms literally are drawing you in where yeah within this is this and this is in this and you're just falling deeper into the book yeah, yeah, it's 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 very it's very simple. Like the the I mean, the Hobbit is basically a child uh, children book, you know, and so yeah. it's like it can't be like overly complicated or weird, and but it's also like this kind of like immediate hook. There is also one quote that this is probably one of my favorites. Uh, it's for for the Dark Tower. It's a series of book by books by Stephen King, and mm-hmm. the opening opening quote is opening line in the very first book is uh the gunslinger um sorry the dark man fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed and it's just that (laughs) and it's like and this and this line it's like i think this is the first one i i read the book like when i was still a teenager and stuff and so but that was the first one that got me into reading a lot like a lot of like novels and stuff and this this line like the reason why it hooked me is because Despite it being so straightforward, it gives a lot of information without like actually like over explaining as well. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you have the antagonist fleeing, you have the protagonist chasing him, you have the setting, which is a desert, you have like sort of the pace because he's fleeing, you know, and it's like all this, all this kind of like information in just like simple terms. 
And I was like, okay, this like this, this line literally hooked me like on on the <laughs> on the thing. And I remember like even Stephen King, like when he he because in in his books, in actually in this very series, it like in at some later book, he actually appears himself as a character, like a little Stephen King in his own books. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and anyway, but as you read it. He, they, the characters, it's, it's kind of like a, like a meta joke or something. I don't know, but it, it's like the characters are joking about him being like this writer. And he says like, well, I don't know if I'm a good writer. And he brings out this, this very first quote, like of him, like of this first book, like this opening line. He says, well, I think that line is good. I don't know about the rest, but this one is good. Like, like he himself like realizes that it, it's a great opening line. And so it was just like hilarious, like to read that. That's why I was like. <laughs> so yeah oh, that's super cool man that's super cool yeah because yeah, at the end of the day that's what we're doing and and that line is essentially that's like a, a piece of concept art you know what i mean that's it's essentially just giving you the basic just giving yep. you exactly what we need you to feel in that moment with a, just enough information to set the, the the scene and then let your imagination fill in the rest it's pretty awesome man it's pretty cool um we're doing pretty good. So we're, we're at about an hour. So mm-hmm. right about this time is when I ask my guests um, to give a bit of advice to younger listeners. I have a lot of um, uh, filmmakers that are listening to this podcast. Um, and I guess what we can do is maybe just talk briefly. Um, if you're going to interact with um, either a game developer or a film, a filmmaker, what is it that you find the most useful when it comes to that initial conversation, when you guys are talking about getting started, what do you like to have a storyteller that has a pure vision or do you like to have a storyteller that comes to you with like specific moods or lines? Like what do you find the most useful to get started on a project? The most useful, hmm, well, it, it does help um, even though like as an artist uh, or like just like just as we talked about, you don't have to specifically over explain in the actual, you know, movie or game or the visual or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to exp- over explain there, but it does help if you have like sort of um, like references and trivia just in case you want to add. It. Like if you feel like it's it could be useful like during that. So what I don't like, what what, what I don't like when it's, completely on the extremes when 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 a client or like you know a project starts off and i'm told like oh yeah man just do whatever you want you know what i mean like it's it's like like they give me like just a couple of like couple of sentences like of description like yeah it's just like you know like like something big and then there's like yeah it was like well i'm sure you can manage like to do whatever whatever is cool you know just do whatever you want and i was like yeah, I, I can't do that, but I'm pretty sure like I'll end up doing more revisions than right. than anything because it's like n- no matter how how much freedom you want to give me, it in the end it's still gonna be confined in some specifics, like wh- whether whether you like it or not, or whether I like it or not. So, like I, I would I would say if you have if you have too much, it's still fine because you can just like say okay, I can I'd rather not use this instead of like trying to look for something to use or like to rely on something so if 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 you have a very solid or like any kind of for any kind of project if there's a very solid like briefing or like you know like some kind of um gathered material or references or just descriptions or like sort of plot or whatever i I, i'd prefer that over something big basically 
Yeah, I think I, th- I think that'll be that'll be probably the the ideal way to start. When you have, if you have too much, you can still trim it down. But if you don't have enough, you're gonna spend extra effort like figuring out. I hope you guys liked that episode as much as I did. I, you know, when he threw that uh, that uh, quote at me, and dude, it, it felt like because we're not in the same space, obviously, right? He's in Spain. I'm here in LA, <laughs> and I love what a nerd he is for novels, and I love that he had these quotes off the top of his head. And man, that bit about leaving your sentences open—that was an important thing for me today. I think that's a good. That was a really interesting thing I learned. Huh. I'm still stunned by it. It was actually a really good statement. And I love that about this show, man. I love these surprises. I had no fucking idea that we would be talking about that when we started. Uh, I literally found him a couple of days ago online. And then, uh, like I said, the power of the internet. I was able to get him on the show pretty quickly. Um, And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Because uh, a lot goes into imagining these huge worlds. And when you're looking at it from the outside, you think it's fucking magic. I still feel like it's magic. And I'm working on the inside. Um, And I don't want it not to be magic anymore. I just want to understand how these magicians work a little bit. So that I can speak their language. So I can translate whatever emotion that is like boiled up within within my fucking crazy brain that I want to express to an audience. How do I translate that to somebody that can physically manifest it? Like draw it out, you know? And I hope we learned a little bit on the show. I hope you learned a little bit on today's episode. Um, And as always, I appreciate the hell out of you guys listening. Um, And um, I have plenty more episodes on the way. A lot of interesting guests lined up. Hope you guys have been enjoying season two. Um, I don't know how long season two is going to go for. It's a fascinating thing. I don't know yet. I'll figure it out. I don't know if it's going to go to episode 80 and then we'll start the next season. We'll figure it out. Um, but I hope you guys are really digging it and, um, please, as always subscribe Apple podcasts or Spotify. That way you don't have to worry about it. You'll literally get an update on your phone. Uh, when the podcast comes out, I have been religiously releasing them on Tuesdays. I'm busting my ass for you guys (laughs) and putting these things out every week. Um, and if you want to show some love, If you want to give me some love and you want to make sure that the show stays financially afloat, uh, there's a couple ways to do so. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com there. If you haven't done this already on another podcast or another, another place, if you haven't signed up for Audible, right, you can sign up for a free trial at audible.com. I'll throw the link below. I think it's like audibletrial.com backslash inlovewiththeprocess. Every fucking show, I don't look that up and I always flub my way through it. You notice that? good thing for the link there's a link below click the link below for the audible trial what you'll do is you'll get 30 days for free you'll get a free book with them and then you'll be exposed to this insane catalog of great content you're gonna love it i know you will um but let's say for instance you're like look i can't really afford to continue doing this i gotta cancel it after 30 days no big deal we still get money 
It's the best, simplest, easiest way to make a donation to the show without reaching into your own pocket. Okay, so check that out. There's a link below. Now, there's something a little bit bigger, which will give us a better donation for the show. But I'm going to warn you right off the bat. If you're someone that can't figure out how to handle your own finances, then just skip past this part. Like if you're someone that is already in debt with credit cards, if you're somebody who cannot go to sleep at night without buying 100 different things on the internet, this is not for you. But if you're somebody that is starting up your own new company, if you're in the position where you need to rent gear, you need to buy supplies, and you can't guarantee that your client's going to pay you in 30 days, and you don't want to be using the funds from your rent accounts or your food accounts, as a freelancer, this is a real fucking thing, guys, um, then you need a credit card. You need a business credit card, or you just need a basic credit card that you can use for your business. Because a lot of times when you use when you sign up for business credit cards, you need to have a pretty big balance in that account for it to be free. I've been noticing that lately. So I signed up, and Gina and I did this research. We both signed up for Capital One cards. And we got a great deal through them. And with the points that we got, like the sign-up bonus points that we got, we were able to take those points to help us travel cross-country for free to do our, our apartment scouting. Think about that. So there are two options at lovewiththeprocess.com. Scroll down. If you're going to sign up for a credit card, do this. Capital One, Venture Card, or Venture One. The difference between the two, the Venture Card comes with a $95 annual fee. So after the first year, you pay $95 to maintain this card. That's important to point out, right? The uh, Venture One card is free. Now, the difference between the two is that you have a bigger bonus on the one that you pay a $95 fee on than you do on the smaller one. And don't quote me on it. I think it's like, oh, God. I think it's if you spend, oh man, I can't remember this. It's all laid out on the website. <laughs> but if you sign up for the capture, if you sign up for one of the venture cards, and you uh, spend a certain amount of money within the first three months, you'll get points. Points that can work towards travel. And I know with the Venture One, I think it's like 50,000 points, which equals like $500. And I think with the Venture One, it's like 3,000 points. That equals $300. It's around there. But it's it's substantial. And it works really well. And you don't pay APR for the first year. That's also really huge. So you don't have to worry about those fees for the first year that you do it. Um, so it's a great way in. It's a good way to build credit if you can get them. Um, maintain your credit, um, and then uh, set it up. So all that information is on the website. Go down, check them out. You can either choose the Venture card or the Venture One card. And look through both of them. See their options and see what works for you. But if you sign up for it, we get a little bit of loot because we sent them. You. All right. Um, wow, Jesus Christ, I barely made it through. Can you tell that I was up too late last night? Can you tell that I had too many glasses of wine last night? That's what this is. All right, so that's the episode. As always, thank you to Code Electro for providing us with the music and the background. And here's the cool thing, Code Electro is on tour. If you go to, I think it's CodeElectro.com, I'll put the link below. Um, check him out. You can get tickets to his concerts that he's putting on. And the thing that's really interesting is that when you go and you watch the performance with the amazing projection stuff in the background, I edited all that. So I actually did all of the video projection work for his tour. So you want to see my work combined with his work, go check him out. I think he's just touring Europe. So all you European listeners, check him out, man. All right, that's it. That is the end of the show. I'm going to leave you guys 
with uh, my suggestion, my suggested closing line. I will see you next Tuesday.